0: We're super excited to announce that we're now Instant Brand Ambassadors. We've been working with them for a couple of years now and love their gear. Uh, Recently, we were at a festival in England called Car Fest, and we did a cooking demo to a few hundred people um, showing how incredible an air fryer is, especially our favourite one is the Vortex VersaZone. It's got two separate areas. In one it's like an 8 litre drawer in it and both of them you can start at different times and they'll finish at the same time. We did cinnamon swirls and a chocolate chilli burrito bowl. So really cool and literally you know, their tagline is goodbye oven, hello instant. And David Flynn uh, has recently you know, he bought a house a couple of years, maybe a year ago and the oven is only used by his children to make cookies. Dave only uses his air air fryer so really efficient the instant vortex version plus there's 25% off it if you would like to support this podcast a really great way to do it is to actually you know we only align with brands that we really believe in and there's a link in the show notes it'll get you 25% off and we really believe in these they're a great way of getting that crispy texture with using a fraction of the oil so just to let you know we're Insta brand ambassadors really cool check out the vortex versus on plus this week's podcast is sponsored by Vivo barefoot shoes. We've been wearing them for 6 years and genuinely they are our favorite shoes and that is all we wear beyond being barefoot. Yeah, they're really really great. They've tons of different varieties. Uh, you get 15% off with the code happypair15. And if you don't like them what do you do, Dave? You can send them back within 100 days. So if you're interested vivo barefoot.com and the code is happypair15. Like, dude. Wonderful to have you. Thanks for having In me. In person. Yes. Yeah, what a, what a joy. Difference, right? Like it's
1: hugely different being here and and being able to actually sense your pheromones. Well, yeah. well, I
0: think once you're having Zoom podcasts, it's always stops. It's like playing tennis. You know, you say something someone else. You can't really interrupt or kind of go, oh, hang on there. Cla-, yeah. You know, whereas it puts it in- a cap on your capacity for excitement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we tend to. Yeah. But Plus when I think, think back, the last time we met you in the person was in Tucson, Arizona, and it was probably six or seven years ago. Yeah. yeah.
1: In Dove Mountain.
0: Yeah. yeah, some really beautiful place full of cactuses and amazing yeah. rocks and, and swimming wow. pools. And and a lot of beautiful people. Beautiful I remember that. wellness people. Yeah, it was like wellness people from New York and L.A. And here we were over there from Ireland going, oh, my God, I didn't realize the world had so many beautiful people. That's where I met Rich the first time, Rich Roll. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that, yeah, Rich was there. I met yeah. so
1: many people through that conference. Yeah, yeah. Man, that was interesting. was so kind of interesting because if you had told me back then that I'd be sitting out in a barren farmland having lunch
0: <laughs> from sitting on the, yeah, yeah, the ground
1: yeah exactly. yeah watching caterpillars and eating cucumber from the land i would have been like really i don't know in
0: ireland yeah yeah in ireland so oh, great, happy man. to be here man thanks delighted. for the tour delighted and you're just fresh off your world tour mm-hmm. world tour world tour, Yay! which is cool because when you think of world tour you think of stadiums it's stadium rock it's playing big gigs and and yours was a meditation yeah. and mindfulness world tour. Yeah. Which it was is very quiet. Redefining the
1: calm before the calm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it was good. I've been doing this meditation thing for uh over fifteen years now. So I have uh I have it pretty dialed in at this point. And it's cool because I get to meet people from all over the world. In fact, you all know uh De- Deirdre, who she found me through um Uh, yoga with adrian you know yoga with adrian yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. yeah. adrian mishler but she's affiliated with you guys as well she comes and volunteers at the farm she came to austin and then she came to new york and then i saw her in london and so you know i think that was like a good omen
0: yeah for me to come here because
1: every time i saw her i thought about you
0: that's, that's lovely. The breadcrumbs.
1: Yeah. And then I was like, hmm, who else's podcast could I possibly do while I'm in this part of the world? And she kept popping up.
0: So I kept thinking about you guys. And so here we are. And I think that's one of the key concepts in like in your latest book, which you've just written, Traveling Light, is that idea of listening to your intuition, or I think you call it like your heart voice or your, your quiet voice or something. You call it something like that. But yeah. With time, your quiet voice yeah. becomes a little louder. yeah.
1: So the whole, the whole premise is that it's this is the idea of spiritual minimalism, um, creating space internally. It's not. It's like, nothing... What does
0: that mean, internal space? Because well, many people listen and they're like, okay, I get the idea of clearing clutter around my house. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's easier to exist in a house that's organized and less full of old stuff. There's room for new stuff. And the concept applied to the internal landscape. It's the same approach, if you will.
1: Well, you know, a lot of times people will have a their heart voice or or you can also refer to it as your intuition or your inner guidance, you know, that voice within that's kind of saying, "Hey, take that chance on yourself. Bet on yourself. Take the leap of faith. You know, leave that situation and try this new situation that you've always wanted to do since you were a young person." And then there's another voice or voices that will jump in and start going, "You're too old. You're too heavy." you're too skinny, you're too broke, you're too, uh, you know, you're not connected enough. There's no way you can do that. You're going to fail. You're going to look like an idiot, just like so-and-so who tried to do something similar and you don't want to be in that boat. And so then we start to sort of get this, get confused about what should I really be doing? Should I play it safe or should I, should I take the leap of faith? And so what, Spiritual minimalism is about is what if we were to remove the things that were trying to persuade us to play it safe? What if that was associated with some sort of internal clutter or emotional baggage? What if that's really an old belief system, an old paradigm that we were indoctrinated with when we were children from our, you know, caregivers who were that was their worldview but it doesn't really match up with our direct experience. And so it's putting forth this idea that if you don't have if you don't have to contend with that internal clutter that you probably would follow your curiosity a little bit more. You probably would listen to the heart voice a little bit more and when you do that you end up in really amazing places and having wonderful adventures, you yeah, know. Places just,
0: where you don't think you can't imagine yourself, find yourself. Right? Yeah. Uh, and ultimately it's like not being guided by fear. Like it's not saying fear doesn't have a place, but it's that fear, it, like fear is welcome, but it ain't doing the driving. But, but maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's more like following the breadcrumbs of life. Because very often, you, you know, something, some opportunity pops up and you go, oh no, I'm not that kind of person. But if you were like, there's almost like people have two different versions of themselves. There's the version of themselves, which is day to day, routine, work, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's the holiday perspective where there's that free, I'm traveling, I'm I'm on holidays. And you see the world fundamentally different in both versions of yourself. And I think the more you can be that version is one, those two two versions merge into one version. I think there's more union. virtual minimalism, more union, more whole.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's not, it's not about getting rid of the fear. The fear is going to be there. The way, here's how I describe it in the book. I say that, imagine that you are an athlete and you're playing in like a, some sort of enclosed indoor arena, right? And you're on the court. And so the people who are on the floor seats, they're shouting or whatever they, imagine it's a basketball game. They're shouting, Mm -hmm. they're trying to, you know, say things to you. You hear them louder than you would hear people up in the nosebleed sections, right? And so the court seats and the people who are in those first few rows, those are all of the voices that we've listened to the most. They're the ones that get the and prime seats. could be your seats.
0: principal at school, or it could yeah, be your mom, the coach, or it could be your
1: mom, everyone, the neighbor. And the, the heart voice, because we don't listen to it and follow it as much, up in the nosebleeds. The heart voice is shouting just as loud, except they don't have that access. They don't have that proximity because they haven't. it hasn't been followed enough. So by following the heart voice, what happens is you end up moving the, the, moving it out of the nosebleeds into the floor seat so that you can hear it more clearly. And the other voices are still there, but they're in the nosebleeds now. Right. And so that's what it feels like internally. You can't get rid of these voices, but you can prioritize one over the other. And then over time, you'll start to hear that voice a lot louder. And, and, and that's why I say, you know, you don't want the heart voice or the intuitive voice to be a still small, a still small voice that you have to get quiet and meditate and sit in a room with nobody else in there in order to hear it properly. You want it to become a loud, annoying voice.
0: Go follow your dream. Come what are you, you doing? doing? Come on, you can do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Or, or the thing which I, which comes to me is that a lot of people they'll find their way to that voice, but it's usually from some kind of wake up call. Or some like kind it's of suffering. often like some kind of divorce, some Pain. kind of Illness. Painful illness, a bereavement. Usually, it's often something like you, you, you come more across it that someone turns their life around. Mm-hmm. They go on the Camino de Santiago or they go exactly. on some pilgrimage and they have to deal with some of their stuff. And they're like, right, I'm. And, and they'll say that that painful experience was the greatest catalyst to yes. them looking at this spiritual mis- minimalism and finding another way to travel light.
1: Yes, yes. So y- y- the universe will get you there one way or the other, right? Mm. I think the more enjoyable route is to try to listen to it earlier before the, the big rock bottom moment. And because you, you look, you're not real. There's no, I think one of the mistakes we make is that if I play it safe, my life is just going to be neutral. There is no neutral path. By playing it safe, meaning you ignore that heart voice and you do. Well, if you ignore your heart voice, basically you're going to be following somebody else's heart voice. Either for you or for them. Yeah, very right? true. So
0: say that one again, that one's really if, good. I think if that you one, ignore we, we your that heart voice,
1: crappity. you're going to be following somebody else's heart voice, right? Whether somebody has a vision for themselves or they have a vision for you and their vision for you may not be in alignment with what your vision is for yourself.
0: So that, that could be like a parent you're living in. Yeah, your, your parent, parent's dream or the
1: spouse. Yeah. And, and so there's no neutral path. That's what the mistake we make is thinking, "Oh, I'm playing it." You can't play it safe. Actually, what you're doing is you're creating more internal chaos by ignoring your own heart voice. So your heart voice is keeping you on your own spiritual track, your own the the rails of of your own uh, path, your own purpose and path. And so, if you if you continue to listen to that, that's the cost of listening to it. Is you have to you have to be be okay with a little bit of uncertainty. You know, it's just like with you guys, people may look, you have a huge following. There's no way you could have known exactly all of this stuff that was going to be happening when it happened. You were just sort of like, you know, out there with the machete, metaphorically speaking, blazing your own path. And then little by little, bit by bit, you know, things started coming together. Some things were falling apart. Some other things came back together. And then here we are having this conversation. And if we hadn't followed our heart voice, we wouldn't be sitting here right now having this podcast.
0: Mm. And it's like the, the ability to go through discomfort. Because like even... there, uh, Yeah, it's all and, discomfort. And I think that's... I'm uncomfortable right now with some co- stuff in yeah, my life. Yeah, of course. But even like say... Well, you've you got know, that. That's principle number six. Find comfort in discomfort. <laughs> right. but, to, but that's it. It's like it's leaning into and understanding that it's an important part of life. And if you can lean into it and almost... Like one thing I've been recently practicing is when something comes up that it's like, I don't want to do. Say there's this phone call I got to make or say there's this meeting that I got to have that I don't want to have. Instead of forming resistance in my mind, it's like, great, I got to have this meeting that I don't want to have, but it's a great opportunity for growth. And like even that reframe with that slight positive take on something that there's resistance in me, it's like, okay, I'm going to go do this. So, so, so what are, what like, f- what is your, because obviously write, like when you write a book, you've got to sit and really reflect on what are your beliefs and to on, what are you interested in. So principle number six is find comfort in discomfort. Let's lean into this. I'd love to. Because it's such a wonderful stoic yeah, ideal is. and it's something that's so in our comfortable modern day life. Yeah, we just talked about that, yeah.
1: you know, how, how we, and people are now equating success with comfort. Like, striving for Success is almost synonymous with striving to be comfortable. I want to have the comfortable house. I want to have the nice car. I want to fly private. I want to stay in the Four Seasons. You know, I want to only do the comfortable thing because that's what it looks like to be successful.
0: And uh, if you were to, I've never thought of it like that. So that's, com- that's amazing because I'm watching Dan Cutner's comfort- show Live to One Hundred. Mm-hmm. So it's about the longest living people in the planet, and it, it it's shown these hundred year olds living in little tin shacks, yeah, carrying water, washing the all hill. their own clothes. Cutting all their own what, work. What like, a dudes, a He's on a horse. Like he's, he's riding walk. a horse. Yeah. But, but like they, the comfort is not a factor for no. longevity. Longevity is about discomfort.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's, that's the essence of principle six, find comfort and discomfort. Because again, your path is not going to lead you anywhere comfortable. If you want to be in shape, you're going to have to get uncomfortable on a daily basis. Mm. If you want to have thriving relationships, you got to have those hard conversations on a regular basis you want to you know live your dream having operating a farm or a market or whatever that's going to require a lot of discomfort you know so if you want to be present to what is important during that process you have to be okay with the discomfort and that's basically what it means you know don't 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 negate or resist your path because it's going to make you uncomfortable lean into that comfort and um and just understand that, you know, this whole idea of imposter syndrome—everyone who's living at their edge has imposter syndrome. So, in a way, if you don't have imposter syndrome, this is a good stress test to see if you're actually moving in the direction of your purpose. If you don't have imposter syndrome, then you're not going far enough. Actually, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. So there's, take another step imposter,
0: imposter syndrome can be scary. I remember recently I had it. we're going out to do a talk. Yeah. With some cool people. And I remember going, why am I here? And then I came out and it was like, eventually I lent into it was like, I'm here. Yeah. I got, like, I am right to be here. But for, for like the first five minutes, I was sitting at the edge of the seat, really nervous, feeling like a little boy going, oh my, oh my God, God, look at all well, these the, well, the things which is interesting, you go to those, like that event, which we went to, where we met out in Arizona and it was a meetup. It was Mind Body Green had hosted it. It was all sorts of kind of wellness influencer type people in in a hotel for a weekend in a and fancy house. And I'd say, like, certainly you're kind of there going, "Wow, why are we here? How did we get invited here?" Like, and I'd say most people had an aspect that, like, everyone because. You're outside of your comfort zone. You've got to meet new people. 100%. You're like, oh, hello, what's your name? What do you do? What and you everyone's like to talk trying about? to make them, you know, it was trying to make himself sound bigger, but we're all insecure. <laughs> hello, I'm so a big him. deal. What's your name? Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
1: definitely felt some imposter syndrome there, too. Yeah. Um, even like writing books and stuff. I still feel like an imposter. Like, who oh, am I? I almost didn't graduate from high school because of English, my English grades. And now I'm out here writing books and... Author. Yeah, author like Watkins, like Watkins, exactly. the author. Woo! <laughs> but yeah, I think that's 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 what we, if anything, that's what we want to strive for is to keep putting ourselves in those kinds of situations, like going into the water this morning. That was very uncomfortable for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, You did am You look good. I'm not a cold water or a cold, water You're person. Not a cold. No, no, just to clarify, no one is a cold water person. <laughs> no one. It is not humanly desirable. Like it is, we've had nine years of getting up every morning and going that sea. I don't like it pretty much every day. I don't want to do it, but it feels good. Like it just makes me feel good, you know, and it's, there's no decision in it anymore. It's just, it's a habit. I know,
1: but it's like, as a man who's like 50 years old and, you know, it's like, I can't be out here, you know, afraid of the water. I have to get in here. I have to, I have to look like I'm okay with this. Like I got this. So yeah, that's what I was trying to like adapt to that environment. But inside, I was feeling like, oh my god, I really don't want to do this. I don't know if I would do this if I was by myself, and blah blah blah. And and that's what it feels like. That's what imposter syndrome can feel like. And that's something that we can use to stop ourselves from from really taking those those little what I call hops of faith. You know, and so I get the leap of faith is very difficult and it's scary, but we can take a little hop of faith where you just challenge yourself just in a little way on a regular basis, maybe on a daily basis. And that's a great. It's a great way to do it because what happens when you get to the other side of that? You always feel great having done it. You always feel like, oh my God, I'm so glad I did that.
0: I remember there was a girl that came in, this is back before I was married. I remember there was a girl that was, I was working in the cafe and there was a girl came in every day for about a week and I was like, oh, she's really cute. I should ask her. And I was like, no, I'm really nervous. And I remember I got to the point where I was like, Ask her out. I don't even care if she says yes or no. Just <laughs> even the act of asking her out, I'm going to feel so proud of myself for actually going out for it. And I asked her out and I was, she said, yeah, but I was nearly more happier with myself having mm. the courage to do it than actually you're saying, So yeah. You said, yeah, just to clarify for your ego. Just <laughs> say, <I was> like, <laughs> she said, yes, <laughs> the truth. Dave, it's the truth. <laughs> you just made that bit up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have a buddy of mine who was in that same situation recently. I mean, guys, we can all relate to this. Yeah. He, he's, he was in a guitar store He plays the guitar and there was some attractive woman in the guitar store asking somebody questions. She wasn't wearing a wedding ring or anything. And he's desperately wanted to say something to her. He's like literally right next to her. He's single. And uh, he's like, this would be the perfect situation. I play the guitar. She's asking about things that I know about. I could chime in. And he didn't let himself do it. And he's still talking about it. And that's the thing. When you don't follow through, when you don't take that leap You don't forget about it. You're still thinking about it over and over and over.
0: Even on that one with my wife, the first time I met her, she had to run for a train and her dad was there and it wasn't really appropriate to kind of ask her, did she want to hang out with her dad there? And then the second time she was there with a friend and there was too many other people around and I couldn't. And both times I remember going, oh my God, like I really want to do this. And I felt really frightened. It was like, next time if I ever see this woman again, I'm going to ask her out and Fortunately, a few months later, I met her again. Wow, you had to but wait a few months. Oh, it took months. It was like it took months. Up, Hi, it would you be looking for her? Was this
1: <laughs> was it the same place when you were see it? Here? Was it was
0: in the Happy Bear? Like it was it was in the cafe. So she would come into the cafe? Yeah, well, she lived in town, and you know, it's from Belgium, so it wasn't really a regular place of hers. So it was, you know, it all happened, meant to be. Do you guys believe in destiny? But, and fate uh, and all definitely. That? Like, did you believe you guys
1: were fated to be together? Like I that was, don't know, I think
0: life is I th- inherently I think there is complex. Th- th- yeah, like it's really hard. Like I think life is all different shades of grey. Like it's not black and white. It's very in the middle. But I, I really do think there is an aspect of, destiny's a hard one to pin down because some people believe in it and some people don't. But I definitely, cert- there certainly feels like there's certain times where I'm in this, I am meant to be in this place. This feels so right. You know, you're in a place and a, a van goes by and it says David Flynn and you go somewhere else and there's the pear tree cafe and you go somewhere else and there's something else and you go, oh my God, this is funny. Life is just kind of validating that i the right place. But are you looking the for right signs place. too? It's hard to, like it's, it's a difficult one. Like, you know, I think on this little spinning rock, we can justify any scenario that we want and it's like, are you looking out for signals? I saw a double rainbow with a zebra cross and that means on a full moon, it mm-hmm. means that yes, green light, go ahead. You know, I, like there's that delicate balance. Mm. Well, we're all like externally validating our internal world. Yes. Like that we're constantly like all of us, we're we're living out of our internal world and we're projecting it outward into the external world. And what we experience is really a reflection of our internal world to a degree. And I guess that's why it's so important, spiritual minimalism, because it's almost like we wash ourselves every day. There's physical hygiene, there's hygiene in our houses, there's cleaning clutter. But internally, like this is we live in our head, we live in our own internal reality and This really dictates our well-being, our happiness and our experience in life more than anything. Yeah,
1: I I like I liken it to the red car effect. You know, if you had a blog where every day you had to write about how many red cars you saw and describe the different cars and and how you felt about each one, you would see more red cars than anybody else, probably in the whole world versus someone who's not really present to that at all. If you ask them, how many red cars did you see yesterday? I don't know, maybe maybe one, maybe a couple. Meanwhile, there was 25 red cars that they passed by. And I think that's something that, you know, when I talk about spiritual minimalism in the book, it's really about presence. And that presence, creating the space allows you to see more of the things that you ultimately want to see. And yeah, you're right. Who knows if destiny is a thing? Who knows if everything is happening just arbitrarily? No one really can say definitively right? People can theorize and hypothesize and, and um, make up metaphors about what the purpose of life is, but who really, really knows? You don't know until you, really, until you die and then you get to see if there is another realm or not. So because no one can say definitively what the deal is on planet Earth, what I like to do and what I encourage other people to do is to adopt whatever ideology or belief system empowers you the most. So if believing that destiny is a thing empowers you to read signs into things that help to allow you to take a leap of faith or bet on yourself, or, you know, justify when something doesn't go right that Oh, this is divine timing. It's actually helping me along my path. That's empowering to have that kind of belief. So if you want to, mm-hmm. if that, if that helps you to overcome hardship and to stay committed to whatever your long-term goals are or your vision for yourself, by all means, do that because that's what I'm doing. And the, that's-
0: I think I think that's a beautiful thing to lean into because, like you know, as we all create our own reality, and there can be if you look at movies like Forrest Gump, where someone who is like you know not the type of person that does really well in exams and schools, but he's got such incredible programming, like mm-hmm. in terms of his beliefs and his outlook in life, that he is super successful at everything he turns in, on his hand on but people might assume he's simple mm-hmm. but he's just so razor sharp on what he focuses on and Forrest Gump some people may have watched it some people haven't we're all old enough that we've watched it many times <laughs> I <laughs> That's imagine Easy Bark in there but, um, but like th- this idea of our, our beliefs and what we believe like our attitude dictates our altitude or you know there's, there's loads of these metaphors of how we see the world directly determines what we receive from the world
1: yeah so that's that's a choice we can make is what do I want to what do I want to tune my attention into every day? Do I want to look at reasons why life is happening for me? or do I want to look at reasons why life is not happening for me? And try both. This is what split testing is all about. Try both, see which one makes you feel better, which one makes you feel lighter, which one makes you feel more empowered? and then just start defaulting to doing that more often. But these are conscious choices that I think we should be making more and more if if we find that we're we're stuck. In whatever areas of our life, because as we all know, again, as older uh, people who've been around the block a few times, no one's coming to save you.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, you have to like, you have to make those difficult decisions for yourself. And the sooner we can get to that place within ourselves, the more adventurous our life becomes. So going back to the original point, there's either chaos or there's adventure, right? There's no certainty either way, but when you can tune into your heart and you can start to train your vision to see more connections in that way, then you create more of an adventurous path. Mm. And and for me coming up here, just following my heart voice, Oh, let me reach out to these guys on social media. I haven't, we haven't really talked or connected in a little while since the last podcast that we did. And, um, you know, I think it was you that got back to me, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, come on up da da, da, and you can come and we'll go swimming, you know. And so it's like I wasn't really anticipating all the other things that came with it. But it's been such a wonderful experience since I've been here, you know, finding the Airbnb that you guys recommended and waking up at the crack of dawn and going into the ocean and having that experience and then coming here and touring around and going to the farm and doing yoga and all the things. It's been wonderful. It's been absolutely wonderful. And I could not have planned that. We couldn't have planned it. In the way that it all happened, um, just in my imagination, I just was taking that that first step I'm of just reaching right. out. There's
0: gonna... well, 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 there's even, even, and lovely to hear that that you're really enjoying it. And like, I guess there's there's the illusion of security, and you know, we're 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 programmed, we're culturally programmed that okay, if you you know get an education, get a job, make loads of money, buy a house, have a family or not. And, you know, your success is in the security, it's in the comfort, it's in the illusion of these type of things. But security really in my own experience and like I have to go against my programming because no matter what, no matter how often I, I I know these things, you keep defaulting back to your, you know, your cultural programming that no matter like security is an illusion and no matter how much money you have, you're probably going to be worried about losing it or worry, having bigger fences in your house and having more security in your cars and having And ultimately being less free and probably being less light, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'd love to kind of talk about this, like the idea, the illusion of security on a, in a universe that is consistently changing and forcing us to adapt to change.
1: Yeah. Talk about in the book, if, if without financials, without spiritual security, you can have all the financial security in the world and you'll still feel like you don't have enough.
0: Like what spiritual security? So, for
1: anyone listening, okay. So, spiritual commu- security... So here's here's I'm gonna use a story to illustrate spiritual Lo- security. Beautiful.
0: <laughs> yes. Is this a chapter spiritual? Because th- it's probably the intro or the full theme of the book. Really, I can't remember the yeah. the quote where that quote is, but
1: in the opening of the book, I tell the story about this lonely wave, and so this lonely wave is is uh, insecure about its existence because it's surrounded by all these bigger, more powerful waves. And so it keeps talking about how lonely it is, how afraid it is, how insecure it is. And then a wise wave comes to the lonely wave and says, you know, I have a way that you can potentially get beyond this, this inherent insecurity and fear. And it goes, what? He goes, why don't you try de-exciting? Instead of spending all your effort and resources trying to get bigger and powerful and, more and stronger, try de-exciting, go the other way with it. And the lonely wave goes, why would I, why would I do that? You know, I'm, I need to compete. And the wise wave says, just, just try it out and just come back and tell me how it feels. So the lonely wave de-excites. In other words, it loses its wavehood boundaries. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually it flatlines into the ocean. And then it comes back into the wavehood status, and it remembers what it felt like to be one with the ocean. And it was amazing. It's like, oh, my God, I felt so expansive, felt so connected to everything else. But I've forgotten it all again. So the wise wave says, try it again. And he keeps doing it over and over and over. And every time he does this, feels more expansive, more connected, and starts to understand the true identity of the wave is not just as the wave, but as the ocean expressing itself through a wave. So I'm not just the wave, I'm the ocean. And I'm being expressed through this localized curvature. And so because I'm the ocean, I'm also connected to all the other waves, those bigger, powerful, stronger waves, etc. And so that's the essence of the spiritual minimalism approach. We start off with principle number one, which is to connect to your heart voice. Cultivate inner happiness. Cultivate inner happiness. And you do that through de-exciting. So as you know, again, I'm a big medica- meditation advocate And that's what meditation is all about. And I think understanding it in that way gives it a lot more utility. Like I'm not just doing this because it's a cool thing or because it's a trend. I'm doing it to get in tune with my true nature. And my true nature is that oceanic, that oceanic consciousness, not just the individual consciousness. Like if you stop somebody out on the street and you said, you know, tell me, who are you? Everybody would say, "Oh, I'm such and such," you know, first last name. Uh, I do something this and that for a living. I'm from this place, etc. Right? No one's going to say I'm the ocean of pure consciousness being expressed I'm locally as a curvature, I'm of sea water. boundless and expansive. <laughs> <enough.
0: laughs> depends on who. Maybe you, you guys would Maybe. be. A, I don't know. What but are, most people would not
1: say something uh, like that. And if they did, you know, you would look at them.
0: Did you read my book? <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> but that's it, man. And it's not even that you have to have language for that you know just t- being able to tap into that feeling tone which i've been doing and teaching other people how to do for decades now it shifts your your state of fulfillment it shifts your state of presence and it's through the fulfillment and the presence that makes you start to see the red cars or the gratitude or the silver lining or feel connected to the land or to other people and things like that because if you or if you're out there trying to intellectually be present you're not going to be present you can't be like walking around going, be present, be present, be present, you know? Presence, when you're truly present, you don't know you're present. When you're truly happy or fulfilled or grateful, you don't really know that you're feeling it. You just feel it. It's a feeling tone more than anything else. That it's a it's available to everybody, but we have to also be intentional about practicing it. Practicing things that allow us to experience it more and more. And it's not that it's not our natural state. It is our natural state, but we lose it through usually our adult years, you know, it gets beaten out of us as a teenager. And then by the time you're an adult and you're told you need to do X, Y, and Z to be successful, to be happy. Yeah. Or to to be be happy, you need to have this thing in order and check that box and do this and achieve this and accomplish that. And then you turn around at 40, 50 years old and you think, wait a minute, I've achieved it all. And I'm still feeling, I don't feel any different inside. I still feel a bit lost and a little bit insecure. And then you know, some spiritual guru says, oh, well, you have to meditate.
0: <laughs> and then you start to see, oh, that's where it's been the whole time. It's been inside of me the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, I, I love that metaphor for the ocean because like most of us in Western society, due to cultural programming, are like, we're trying to be a bigger wave, a bigger version of ourselves mm-hmm. where there's, I collect more shiny things. I have more, you know, letters after my name or whatever it might be, possessions, people, status titles all these type of things yet ultimately you know the more we can dissolve our ego to an extent the more we can you know let the ocean flow through us or the universal energy that's the beautiful concept of the surrender experiment which was one of my most favorite books was Mm -hmm. yeah michael singer where he had the idea of just surrendering to life and just letting life make the decision ultimately listening to his heart voice Mm -hmm. or as you call it your little voice Um, Make decisions from the heart, principle number two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the more you do that, the more you're taking to places you couldn't even imagine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I say make your most important decisions from your heart, right? And and then you can make the other decisions from your head or or from whatever source you want to make them from. But the most important ones, who am I going to be in a life partnership with? How am I going to spend my eight hours a day working? Um, What are the other focuses in my life that, you know, are important to me? And so... Um, a lot of times we'll dismiss what the heart is saying because we say the heart makes you gullible. You need to be more pragmatic. You need to be more logical, et cetera. I would argue the opposite. I would say the head makes you gullible because the head is basing its choices on what it can see and not what it feels. And when you choose something, like for instance, let's say you're choosing between two jobs, okay? And one job pays um, 100 100000 euro a year but it requires you to compromise your integrity in some way but you're getting 100 euro a year and another job only pays 60 euro 60000 euro a year but it checks all the boxes of what lights you up inside i would argue that the 100000 euro a year job actually pays less than the 60000 euro a year job because there's a cost to compromising your integrity So then ask yourself, what is your integrity worth if you had to quantify it, right? And let's say just for argument's sake, someone says, oh, my integrity, my integrity is worth 50,000 euro a year, right? So that Mm -hmm. means there's an emotional toll to being out of integrity for eight hours a day for 365 days. So that means that that job is actually only paying 50,000 euro a year. Whereas the 60,000 euro a year alternative, where you are lit up inside, you get a paycheck for your soul. Mm, so okay? true. So what's that worth? Maybe that's worth 100,000 euro a year. Yeah. So that job actually pays 160,000 euro a year. <laughs> and then when you do something and you commit yourself to something that really lights you up, it inspires people. People get inspired being around you, and you don't know what other opportunities you're going to attract as a result of being inspired. And that's why I say in the book, abundance is already out there. We're either creating access to it or limitations to it. When you're in that sort of negative space because you're compromising your integrity, you repel abundance. When you are inspired because... You're doing something that lights you up, you attract more abundance. so for all we know, by taking the quotes lower paying job, you may end up being a thought leader in that space because of your commitment and dedication and presence within that work. You would write books about your experiences, people want to hear your stories, you're a keynote speaker, and you end up being some you know making millions of euros because you started off with that lower paying job that lit you up. so the salary is really. Look, I'm not talking about people who don't have their basic needs met. Obviously, you may have to work two or three jobs. But once you have your basic needs met, the salary is irrelevant in terms of, you know, something that you can build upon. You really want to make those choices from your heart, which means they need to check some of those boxes and what lights you up inside. And that means you have to be there forever. But use that as a stepping stone to maybe the next thing and then the next thing and then just kind of see what unfolds. There's no certainty either way except that you're, compromi- you're compromising your integrity if you're choosing, if you're willfully choosing something that you already know is out of alignment
0: for you. Yeah, there's bring there's, your definitely, integrity there's definitely studies of happiness where they found that, you know, money, there's only a certain threshold, extra money will not, you know, um, equal extra happiness. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's a lot lower than people think. Like people think, oh, I need to be a millionaire. $75,000 US. And that's probably for a household. Like that's across a household. Mm-hmm. And that's, whereas people might think, oh my God, I need to have this massive, and, and it, that is a lot of money. It is a huge amount of money, but um, it's probably less than most people think that they need. People are, a lot of people like are striving for financial financial security and all these, or financial freedom or whatever. These are these ideals, but it's like, you can live on a lot less, and 75,000 is a lot of money. You could probably reduce that down and reduce your needs and, you know, look at spiritual minimalism. Wants. Reduce your wants, yeah. But I think that quote, like that was one which I highlighted in your book, which I think is so beautiful. Principle four is give what you want. And it says, we do not create abundance. Abundance is already there. We either create access or limitations to it. And I think that's amazing because we're either open to abundance or we're closed to it. So it's it's really down to almost like the same way a road is either open or closed. Like abundance is, life is this abund- abundant, bountiful experience. And it's our beliefs and our own mental and Our our openness. Our openness dictates the the degree of abundance which we experience. Could you, could you talk more on that? I love this. this. Yeah. You know, I was
1: being, I was touring the farm earlier and I was asking, um, Steve, I said about the, you know, is this, is this a profitable venture? And he was like, oh no, no farms are profitable. (laughs) But, and then he started kind of sharing the vision with me, you know, this is about giving what we want to see in the world and, and, and. You know, creating something that is ultimately creating leading to more sustainability. And I think again, those are the choices that we ultimately want to make for ourselves because right now, you're you may be in a period of growth where it doesn't look like it's going to be profitable, and the money you are putting into it is not really coming back to you in the in the obvious conventional way, but there's a trust in that process, okay? Something gave me the resources to be able to do this in the first place. And I would argue that when you have a vision, your job is not to figure out how it's all going to come together and how the payoff is going to happen and what the payoff is going to be. Your job is to just take those next steps, just to stay loyal to the vision. You don't receive the vision because you have all the things in place, you receive the vision because you're capable of not watering down the vision. Like life tends to give visions to uncompromising people. <laughs> you know, if you look throughout history wow, yeah. at the icons of Steve Heaser, Jobs, Steve Jobs, Mahatma Gandhi, the mother, Martin, Therese, Luther the King. Martin Luther King's, Malcolm X's, right. All of those people, Mark Rosa Parks, who I talk about in the book, the mother of the civil rights movement. Those are, it's not to say they were always uncompromising, but they got to a point where they had to become that. You have to become that towards your vision for yourself. So I call that the freedom of choicelessness. You're you're in a freedom. You have a choicelessness. I I don't have an option anymore. I gotta do this. this I have is to do. All do this. I gotta do. And once you commit in that way, there's a freedom to that. There's a freedom to that, right? Because you know that everything that you're investing into this. The payoff is is immediate. The payoff is in the journey itself. There are things you're learning right now about having a farm for two years that's going to help you with your vision 10 years from now that you can't even imagine how those dots will connect. And that's what Steve Jobs talked about in that famous commencement speech where he said you can never see the connections looking forward. You can only see them in hindsight.
0: Wonder with an open heart or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. And there was this, there was another story. I saw the uh, documentary on the making of the iPhone and this person, this woman who was one of the designers of the iPhone, she talked about how they all thought it wasn't going to happen. And Steve Jobs didn't even want to do it. And, you know, there's all these weird synchronicities and coincidences. Anyway, she's on a flight late one night coming back from somewhere. Cause Steve Jobs had, had, you know, called everyone together and she had to go to the bathroom and somebody was in the bathroom and she was kind of you know annoyed because she had to wait and it was turbulence and whatever whatever and she noticed something you know the lock on the bathroom door how they slide the lock thought, oh that'd be perfect for the iphone wow and that's where they got the idea to slide to open it right but how many things had to happen for her to be on that plane to be in that situation to and notice you, to, that to, be, thing, to be in the headspace where you're, in you're tired and exhausted and you're to, thinking about the you're iphone and you're just looking you're going Oh yeah. That solves the problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there are things you guys are going to be coming up with like that, you know, that are going to help your mission. And there are things that I'm going to be doing that being here with you is going to inform my mission. And it's all this like beautiful connection and beautiful synchronicity, but you have to really be in that. You have to get on the edge of your comfort zone because it doesn't really happen in the comfort zone. You know, it's like when you go to Southeast Asia or somewhere where you don't speak the language, you're not familiar with the culture. You've never been more present than when you first get into that that new culture, and you're looking around. You're like, "Oh my god!" Like, you know, like chicken feet legs hanging up. Like, do I? Where Where, where am I going to eat? And what are they saying?
0: And you know, what's this and music? Gonna rob, are people going to try to rob my? Yeah,
1: all this stuff. stuff. You're just super present, and that's what that's what living in your purpose really feels like. Is that even though you're in the same familiar environment, you're more present because you. You kind of got yourself out there a
0: little bit. Beautiful. This is one of my favorite poems is If by Rudyard Kipling. I don't know if you've read it. And he, th- there's a line in it where it says, if you're prepared to, you know, lose everything you have and build it up with worn out tools, like it's a, it's a poem which he wrote. He wrote to his son who was going off to war and it was his life lessons in this beautiful poem. And there's a line in it like, you know, if you're prepared to lose everything in one roll of... I pitch think it was and toss. pitch, and, pitch toss and toss and build it and back watch up. it destroy it and yep. then build it back, back up again, worn with worn out, out tools. And like, it's just such a metaphor for exactly what you're talking about is like the more we can live life, not being so concerned about the score and going like we're living it. And whatever happens, like the more we're on the edge, the more we're likely to feel fulfilled and fulfilled and that, in, in a more, not, not necessarily a monetary sense, but a spiritual at a deeper kind of, sense of satisfaction which is much more fulfilling than any type of monetary you know income can thing and another thing which came to me there on the story which you were saying in terms of job like Alessia works on the farm she worked in a bank for years and Then she, she used to come out and come to the farm and then she quit, quit her bank and said, I'd much rather be, you know, a poor, happy farmer than be, uh, you know, a better paid banker. Mm -hmm. And I just admire that bravery and you see there's so much joy and, you know, she's a very fulfilled person and a very passionate person that lives by her heart. And
1: sometimes you have to do what you, you have to do the integrity compromising job in order to appreciate what's coming next. So... There's value in everything. And I talk about that principle three is no throwaway moments. Like everything you do is going to come into play at some point along your path. So just try to be as present as you can to it. And one of the best ways to do that is to cultivate that presence from the inside out through some sort of stillness practice.
0: Mm. I like that you're expanding the... Term for meditation to stillness <laughs> practice, like whatever it is that brings more internal quiet, yeah. that you can be more. Ultimately, it's about increasing awareness. Yeah. And whatever that is. Yeah.
1: M- mainly within yourself. So you can kind of tune in. Because I really do believe we all have an internal GPS, you know, and just like a GPS in your car, you wouldn't really question it all that much. Like, you know, it's, you put in the destination, even though the path it may be taking you on is not necessarily the, seems obvious, but you still know, okay, well, it's, it's a GPS. It's not going to just keep following, just keep, yeah, just keep following it and see how it turns out. And I think we are conditioned to question our internal GPS a lot more because, um, we think that the stakes are a lot
0: higher if, if things don't go the way that we want them to go. Okay I love that I love that concept internal GPS and anyone listening is kind of going okay this all sounds great intuition you know spiritual minerals I'm totally into like how would be things which you like and this is how one thing in your book things. how would be things sorry bad english um, but, and but <laughs> this is one thing, thing in your book you you have made it very practical like it is you've you've turned spiritual practices into kind of daily little habits yeah. but I'm just thinking in terms of cultivating your own internal GPS cuz ultimately that's kind of going well what what do I want in my life what's what are the values what do I believe in? Where do I want to go? What do I want to do? All these type of things. How would you kind of encourage someone to go on this journey? And what would be like the first step or the second step on this? So journey? meditation is the first step. Brilliant. And I, uh, give a,
1: I give a minimalist approach to meditation there, right? Yeah. Because a lot of times when we think about the practice, people just automatically dismiss it. Oh, my mind is too busy. I've my mind. I tried
0: it. I tried I it. Tried I did it. five minute ones and it was just so, I, so twitchy. It's just not for me. Yes. What yes. would you say to that type of person?
1: Well, I would say you were probably trying too hard and you want to
0: just meditate. Get quiet. No, go on, go <laughs> quiet.
1: What happens is people try to do brave heart or you know, they they go to war with their mind. And they think that meditation is about suppressing their mind. And there was an interesting study that was done back in the eighties at Harvard University. It was called the White Polar Bear Study. Have you guys heard about this? No. no. Okay, so oh, the white polar it. bear study. So this psychologist was um, wondering if it's possible to suppress your thoughts. And the way that he decided to test this was he had a room full of students. He had everybody sitting at a table with a little silent button in front of them. They were told to put their index finger on the button. And then he timed them. He said, okay, for five minutes, I want you just to focus on one thought and try not to let your mind deviate and go anywhere else. Just have one thought. I want you to think about white polar bears. And as you're thinking about the white polar bear, I want you to tap the button. Just tap the button as you're thinking about the white polar bear. And if by accident you end up getting lost in thinking about dinner or thinking about your to-do list or thinking about something unrelated to the white polar bear, stop tapping the button. But when you remember to come back to the white polar bear thought, begin tapping the button again. Okay? So he tracked them for five minutes thinking about white polar bears as much as they could. Then he gave him a break. And then he said, come back, sit down, put your fingers back on the button. He says, okay, now I want you to let your mind just roam free. You know, all those things you were trying not to think about earlier. I want you to let yourself have all of those thoughts, no restrictions, except don't think about the white polar bear. But if you accidentally think about the white polar bear, do me a favor, tap the button (laughs) so we can record how many times it accidentally happens. Just, just. Just to see. So he tracks them for the same amount of time, five minutes. At the end, does the comparison, does the meta analysis. As it turns out, when they weren't supposed to be thinking about the white polar bear, they thought about it more than when they were explicitly told, I only Um, want you to think about the white polar bear and nothing else. In fact, half the room was bordering on obsession. That's all they could think about in the second five
0: minutes was white polar bears. It's amazing. Is that like our negativity bias? Is that in a sense, that type of thing, that if we're told not to do something, like don't do something, we tend well, to Well, that think... was one
1: of the conclusions. Yeah. One of the conclusions was, what you resist will persist. That's, in mm. fact, that's that was that scientific evidence that sort of backs that up. If you resist any thought about anything, doesn't matter what it's about, you are going to multiply that same quality of thought. The other conclusion, which is really interesting, is- You cannot focus on any one thought for more than three to five seconds without the mind naturally deviating to an unrelated thought. So when people complain about, oh, I'm getting distracted in meditation, what you're complaining about is just the natural tendency of the mind. You're not doing anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with your mind. Nothing is broken. And what usually can help repair that relationship is just understanding what the nature of the mind truly is and making friends with the mind stop treating the mind like it's some enemy like it's some terrorist coming in to sabotage your meditation and see it as your ally in the practice and just know from the onset okay i'm going to be thinking about dinner i'm going to be thinking about you know the movie i saw the other day i'm going to be thinking about the conversation i just had i'm going to be thinking about my to do list i'm going to be imagining what i want to do with my life when I want to change my plans, you know, all the things. You're going to have all of them. And and ironically, when you can embrace the natural tendency of the thinking mind from the beginning and during the process, guess what happens? Your mind will become more settled in the meditation. So this is the minimalist approach to meditation. The other aspect to it physically is you want to sit like we're sitting right now. We're just sitting comfortably, relaxed, you know. Somebody has their legs crossed. Somebody has their ankles crossed. You haven't thought about the way you are sitting the whole time we've been here because you're comfortable. If, you were to, if we were to have this podcast with our legs crossed on the floor with our back straight, I'd be sitting here the whole time going, how, how long is this going to last? Just like I was doing this morning during the stretches, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is so uncomfortable, but I'm going to power my way through it. And that's what people feel in meditation. So minimalist approach, sit comfortably, make friends with the mind. Don't try to do too much. And guess what? Meditation will be quite enjoyable and it'll become something that you actually look forward to doing every day for five or 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be, you know, an hour like a Vipassana, just do it for five or 10 minutes. It's better to do it for five or 10 minutes every day than it is to do it an hour every now and again, right? And then from there, you start to tune in to that heart voice a lot more. It's going to be a still small voice, but that's your opportunity to start split testing Okay, is this my heart voice or is that my heart voice? Because the ego is really good at disguising itself as the heart voice. And here's how you kind of know the difference: when the ego's telling you to do something, it's all about how oh, is this going to make me look, right? So, like, my ego was telling me this morning, "You're going to look like an idiot when you come running out of that cold water. <laughs> Don't go in." <laughs> you know, my ego was there trying to get me to not do something. And my heart was like, oh, this is great for you. This is a great challenge. This is going to stretch you. You're going to grow. You know, you're going to be able to tell a great story about this. You're going to be able to inspire some people. That's how you know it's your heart voice. It's about helping others. It's about being of service. Right? But again, if it's confusing, split test it and see how you feel afterward. So if I didn't go into the water this morning, I would still be thinking I should have gone in that fucking water this morning. Right. It's
0: a bit like a lot of those uncomfortable things, like those opportunities, which you get, like, like a bit like you talked about like, asking someone out in fantasy, fancy, yeah. like whether they say yes or no, it's cultivating that leaning into that discomfort, yeah. as you called it, embracing discomfort. After, after that moment, I literally got to like, I don't care if they say yes or no. I just care if I have the courage to pursue that's what it is I desire. Voice.
1: Yeah, that's your heart voice.
0: And, and when you get to that point, it's like, what? and you feel it's great really exciting it's still
1: expansive you feel grateful that's
0: expansiveness there's yeah. this kind of like whoa, i'm part of a greater life it's yeah. not just the and 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 ultimately i was just thinking there that spiritual minimalism in a sense is about freedom it's about somehow feeling freer liberation and, from yeah, your past yeah free from your past and more present in the in the moment of this evolving version of yourself and i was i was even having this conversation this morning with my daughter she's started secondary school and, you know, she's sitting, she's in a class where she doesn't know any of her, her, her old friends. And and we were kind of just discussing it, saying that, well, it's interesting because you, you can be the current version of yourself. Whereas if you've got your friends from, you know, your friends from the last school, which have been your friends for six or seven years, like they've known you for seven years. They see you with true seven years of experience. Whereas these new people you're meeting, they see you as who you are exactly today, mm-hmm. which there's something free in that. And I think. It's within ourselves, we have this ideologies of who we are. I'm David Flynn. I eat vegetables. I'm a blah, blah, blah. Whereas giving yourself this opportunity to go, who am I today? Who am I now? Is this who I am today? Like, and, you know, all of us, I think giving ourselves this freedom where we can actually, you know, be the expanded version of ourselves. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's necessary, you know, and,
1: and again, we have to give ourselves permission. No one's going to say, hey, you know, you know, you should really... Because the thing is, when you, when you are being yourself, the people who knew you as the other person or who, who are holding you to how you were a year ago or, or three years ago, they are going to get uncomfortable. A lot of times, some people will be supportive, but I think most people get a little bit uncomfortable and, and that can cause us to kind of second guess, wait a minute, should I really be doing this thing that I'm thinking about doing? You know, I think one of the, one of the, when I was becoming a a nomad and I was getting rid of all my stuff, I used to have a two bedroom place in Santa Monica, you know, 10 minutes, 10 minutes from the beach, beautiful place, all that, two cars, Vespa, the whole thing, uh, artwork and everything. And I gave it, gave it all away and moved into a carry on bag. And obviously, you know, at that point in my life, a lot of people had gotten used to those kinds of experiments that I would do, but. About a year later, I was like, okay, I'm gonna get rid of my laptop. I'm just gonna have a, a tablet. That's all I'm gonna use from now. And then my two of my closest friends go, Oh, you you're going too far now. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's that, that's that, that pivot point where we can either go further into who we truly are, because everybody's gonna arrive at their version of that. You're going too far now, right? You can either go further into that or you can allow those voices of well-meaning, people have well-meaning intention. You know, they just, they want, usually want the best for you, but it's through their perspective on the world. And a lot of times people who say things like that haven't really taken the same leaps. They haven't bet on themselves in the same way that you're betting on yourself. And if you listen to that, then that becomes, you know, that, that has a ripple effect. And that could potentially become a lifestyle. Whereas taking that leap of faith on yourself also needs to become a lifestyle, not just some isolated act. It needs to be Mm -hmm. something that you're doing on a regular basis. So, um, you know, it doesn't have to be some big, major decision like getting rid of your computer. It could be something, you know, tiny. Like I'm going to go out of my house today and I'm not going to bring my phone. Like Saturday is going to be my day where I'm not going to be on my. On my device. Or I'm not going to go out and drink alcohol. Or I'm not going to go out and drink alcohol. And even
0: if people say For to we- me, why aren't you drinking? What's weird? You go, mm-hmm. well, I just want to, tr- I'm just. Just don't sit don't in feel that like discomfort.
1: Sit in it. Yeah. yeah. And then that becomes habitual. Cause you see that, oh, actually two things. It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And you get to see the reality, the truth of this situation. Cause then they're still drinking. And then you see, wow, is that how I was when I was drinking? <laughs> Right? Mm. I don't like the way that feels, yeah. be engaging with someone who's kind of in under the influence. So it's, it can be really informative. You know, I you, love your work.
0: Like, I think it's so important what you're doing because it's, you're really like even sitting in this conversation, I'm reflecting on my own life and going, well, where am I free? And where am I, I feel like I'm holding myself and hindering myself? Because in each one of us, there is this consistent opportunity to change and to grow and lean into the edge. And And
1: life meets you where you are, man. Like even if you are meditating and you're doing all the things, you're still dealing with something that's challenging you. And uh, so you don't go, there's no point where you're immune to all of it. It's just that the things that normally trip most people up don't register for you anymore. They're not, you're not sitting around thinking, I wonder what people think about me. And I wonder if I'm going to, you know, um, start this business or expand my business in this or that way. You may already know you're going to do that, but now it becomes bigger. Like, okay, how are we going to feed the world? That becomes your problem, and you may lose sleep over over that. I read in M- Michelle Obama's book, uh, *Becoming*. She was she was talking about how one night when her and Barack Obama were early in their marriage, she noticed that uh, Barack Obama was like lying in bed awake multiple nights, and of course. She started thinking, well, what did I do? Or, you know, is he thinking about he made a mistake with me? And she started making it about herself. And then one night she says to him, she says, we are you know, are you up? He goes, yeah. She goes, what are, you, what are you thinking about? Income inequality. <laughs> 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 That's what he was thinking about. You know, he's lying in bed years before he even thinks about running for Senate and then eventually for president of the United States. He's just sitting there plagued by, you know, income inequality and these kinds of issues. He wasn't sitting there thinking, you know, how am I going to pay my rent this month or how, you know, what about this problem I have with my cousin or any any of that kind of little stuff, you know? And that's that can be problematic for some people, but eventually with doing the inner work, you can actually go beyond that. And
0: then you're still going to have problems, but they're
1: going to be bigger problems.
0: Yeah or you can redefine them differently. Can I, can I just come back to one thing? Do you mind if I do? Just that wave metaphor. Just I just love it. I think it's such a beautiful story. And, and like it, part of it, which really valid comes to me, is that idea of dissolving the ego and somehow dissolving these ideas of what we think we need to have in order mm-hmm. to be happy. And that surrendering and dissolving and stripping back and letting go. I'm using loads of different nice words now. But I think through that process, and often it is like that I said, that um, when life throws you these curveballs, whether it's disease, bereavement, you know, uh, whatever type of kind of thing, it's often true that that we do let go of the things which we think we needed to do in order to be happy. And we can, and I guess your whole book, you know, Living Lightly or Travel Light is all about helping you to do this without needing a massive. External intervention, yeah. External catalysts.
1: Ideally, yes, yes, it is, and um, and and I think it's it's gives language to people who are in need of something like that. And you know, there's a story in the in the final chapter of the book about this woman Rosa Parks, who was the mother of the civil rights movement, and. I like her story because a lot of times when we think about, oh, you know, living your purpose, following your dream and these kinds of concepts, we imagine something like what you guys have created, right? Like people would look at you and go, oh yeah, they're living their purpose. You know, it's pretty obvious. They got a store, they got a line of goods, they have a farm and all the things, families. But someone who's working in banking or someone who's working in, you know, some other kind of nine to five job paycheck job may not think of themselves as being on any kind of particular path and so Rosa Parks black woman uh growing up in the deep south in America and she happened to be in a town called Montgomery Alabama which was one of the most segregated you know one of the most racist towns in that era of the 1930s 40s 50s and people were getting lynched and people were getting killed and all kinds of crazy things were happening. Um, If you did the slightest little infraction, if you didn't look at the white man, the right way, if you didn't get out of their way, if you didn't, you didn't uh, let them sit in your bus seat, if the bus was filled up and these kinds of crazy things, they called it Jim Crow laws. Anyways, 1955, she's on a bus coming home from work and um, she worked as a seamstress And the bus filled up. And so when the bus fills up, the rule is the law of the land is that the colored, which is what they call black people, the colored riders had to get up in the front row and let the white riders sit down. So the bus bus driver following the law pulls over when he sees that the white guys are standing up and says, okay, colored passengers, you got to get up and let these white guys sit down. And so out of the three people sitting in the front row... Two of them got up. She decided to stay in her seat. And so this was a major problem. Now she's breaking the law. So she gets into this whole confrontation with the bus driver. He's threatening all kinds of crazy things. I'm going to arrest you. And then, you know, this and that's going to happen to you. And you're going to lose your job. And, but she refuses to stand up. And she gets arrested. And then there's an assembly of other leaders in that community. And there are these older men who they all have wives, they all have families, they all have deep roots in the community, and they said, "You know, we need to find somebody who can lead this this movement. We want to boycott, we want to boycott the buses, but we're all too compromised in this town. We know too many people, people are going to lose all their jobs. We need somebody young, somebody energetic, somebody who's a good speaker. Oh, this one guy, uh, Martin. King, he just moved here. He's down, down the way preaching at this church. He's, how old is he? He's 26 years old. Oh, you know, so he doesn't know anybody here? No. Well, let's get him to lead the movement because, you know, they can't do anything to anyone that's associated with him because he's brand new to this town. So they went and got and, and, and pitched Martin King on leading this bus boycott. And guess what his answer was? Hell No. You want me to be out in the forefront in the deep South? I just got here with my family. I'm I'm just trying to have my little church. I'm not trying to get lynched. I'm not trying to be you know starting stuff in this new town. I just I just moved here, and so they ended up having to, as the story goes, they ended up having to shame him into taking that leadership position, and that's what started the Montgomery bus boycott, which started the modern day civil rights movement, which catapulted Martin King into Doctor Martin Luther King. Junior, that we all know today as this iconic civil rights leader. And what's interesting about that story is Rosa Parks, the woman who kind of set the whole thing into motion, she wasn't a celebrity. She wasn't, you know, if someone looked at her life just objectively as a seamstress working nine to five, going to work, coming home, like having a boss, you wouldn't think, oh, this woman is, is you know, she's found her purpose, but her purpose in that moment in time was to stand by her values, to be in integrity with her values when the stakes could not have been higher, which is she could have lost her life, right? And so I talk about in that chapter the book, like you don't have your purpose, to, you don't have to be a, a sports star, you don't have to be a celebrity, you don't have to have your own business somewhere in order to, fit, to be in your purpose. You can be in your purpose right now if you are living your life in integrity with whatever you, your values are. And I walk people through a little exercise to find their values, which is which is to to imagine yourself at the end of your life, right? This is, could be a little morbid, I guess, but no, this is really this imagine is imagine like, your funeral. This is the edge, this is where we need to be. Yeah. You're at your funeral. You, you're not the, Your body's at your funeral. <laughs> yeah. And people are getting up. The people in your life are getting up and they're saying things about you. What do you want them to say? What do you imagine? That you would want them to say about you? Would you want them to say that you always stood up for justice? Would you want them to say that you were patient, or
0: or would you want them to say you paid off your mortgage? You were financially free. Yeah, you, got you had a new Tesla. <laughs> oh my God, I loved his car, right? <laughs> or, or his abs, or her, whatever. You know, of course, like, they're
1: not going to even mention no. that stuff. You know, so when you think about what you do want them to say. That kind of gives you a guidepost for how you can be or how you you want to be for yourself these are this is what you want them to say. This is not what anybody else is saying you should have them say about you but when you when you find that there are themes in the things that you want people to say, maybe you narrow those down to like three value statements right so i'm the person i'm the type of person who does what they say they're going to do i'm the type of person who um
0: Leans into discomfort. Right. Who gives people second chances. Oh, that's a good one. Because I
1: want people to say, you know, light gave me a second chance. I I was down and out. Light gave me a second. So then that informs whatever's going on around you today. Is there someone who needs a second chance? Well, then you're the person to give it to them. Is there someone who um, doesn't believe in themselves? Well, you're the person to help them believe in themselves. So whatever your values are. And that that makes every day kind of exciting. And if you want to kind of hack presence, that's how you can hack presence, is you can be intentional about whatever your two or three values are, I'm going to employ these values at least once or twice or
0: maybe three times um, a basis And at the, the old Buddhist expression, be careful of actions. Actions become habit, habits become characters. Yeah, so and the it the becomes just who be, you are. Yeah. You don't think about it as much anymore. The bit that really shines out to me is that like, you know, modern day society retrospectively looking at Martin Luther King, we think this was a heroic man of justice and he was. But it's interesting to see the context of which he, he, he came out of. It was mm-hmm. almost like he was chosen or forced to be this person that he didn't want to well, be. Well, it's back to that destiny you asked, do you believe in destiny or not? And when you look at all these characters, which we discussed, like Mother Teresa, you know, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, Steve Jobs, whatever these massively influential people, influential people the story that most of us hear is just the top level, just their glory and their winnings the and Instagram whatever. Instagram highlight reel of You their story. really get to see the 30 seconds, we get to read the thirty second of their life. Whereas the reality is that, you know, it's a bit like you see those metaphors of persistence and it shows the very tip of the iceberg. And this is what we see. But the whole bit underneath it was carrying rocks up the hill to build a cathedral or yeah. it's chopping wood, carrying water. It's yes. And then there's these glorious moments, which somehow, yes, Stephen. I got a topic I really want to camp out at. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's the concept of faraway feels are greener. Because even the other day at the beach, I met a friend. He was living in our little town. He thought, oh, it's getting really busy. I feel like there's no space. So he moved down to the country, yeah. He's living in the country, loving it, feeling isolated, feeling lonely, feeling disconnected, now wants to move back to the town. But there's this constant yearning within all of us that like, oh, I want that. When I, I have guessed. that. When I have that external factor, when I'm married, I will when then I feel happier, Whereas when I'm earning speak about, X, when I'm, how do we, as a culture, as a society, as an individual, it, yeah, as a person, even an individual, how do we embrace that, integrate that and as opposed to trying to overcome it, just acknowledge that there is always going to be a yearning, like a thirst to hunger in there.
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, I uh, the first quote in the book is, the grass is always going to be greener on the other side until it's greener on the inside.
0: Oh, and beautiful.
1: So if we can just be more intentional about cultivating that fulfillment internally, it doesn't get rid of the longing or what I call the acquisitive approach to happiness. It minimizes it because you're bringing the happiness with you to the situation, right? In other words, you're not looking for the environment To make you happy. You may still choose to move into that direction, but you're choosing it because you think to yourself, okay, I have this, I have this internal fulfillment, I have these, this creativity, I have these ideas that I want to bring out of me, but that and that would be a perfect environment that could help to nurture that, nurture that, that or incubate that situation instead of that's gonna make me happy. If I move in that direction, then all the external things that are happening there are gonna make me feel like more of me that never really happens. It just exposes more of your insecurities, whatever they are. So again, we can't, we always want to find ways around the inner work, but, <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs>
1: but we have to go, you have to go within the, the, the way to your, your destiny really is through your, your internal self. And, um, I wish it was, an, I wish there was a shortcut to that, but and, but, and, and you have to be as intentional about that as you are about building wealth, about building abs. a brand, about creating abs, you know? Whatever it might no be. No one who has abs like in their 30s and 40s, it's not, it's not passive. Like you had to do, you had to eat a certain way. I heard Chris Williamson, the podcaster, he talked about how he went through a period of really getting his body into shape and how much he had to change his diet. And he said, you know, I like waffles and I like pancakes as much as anyone else, but the six pack apps were my story of how many pancakes I didn't have, how many waffles I did not eat. So you can have everything. You can have anything. You just can't have everything. You have to be intentional about choosing what, what it is that you want to have that's leading you to whatever direction you want to go in. And the I think iron, I think that's. Irony th-
0: is it's only when you put down boundaries that freedom mm-hmm. exists. If there's no boundaries, choicelessness. You got to yeah. give yourself choicelessness. Yeah.
1: There's no pancakes happening for the next six months.
0: Yeah. There's no decision. Like it's just. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if you could just like, uh, and maybe I could say them out because, like, the it's really nicely the way you've laid it out in the book. You've gone with the seven seven principles of spiritual minimalism, and it's nice because they're they're practical, tangible seven kind of things which people. This is this is which underpin the full philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would I read them out or can you remember them all? Seven principles. Number one,
1: prioritize and cultivate inner happiness. You do that mainly through meditation. Number two, you make your most important decisions from your head, not your heart. Sorry, from, from your heart. heart. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> from, from your head, head not your head. You make your most important decisions from your heart, not from your head. And again, the operative word there is most important. Not all decisions. The head is important for figuring out how to do things, but the heart is important for figuring out the direction or the why. Okay. Number three, no throwaway moments. Treat life as though there are no throwaway moments. In other but words, that means so savor everything, like savor it all,
0: even the even the
1: tough times. Not necessarily savoring it, but just seeing a place for it. There's a place for this. Like even if I don't understand why something is happening, just understand that this is happening for me and not just to me. And eventually when it's right for me, when it's ripe for me to understand, I'll understand it. Right. But in in the meantime, I'm just going to stay present to what's happening, especially if I can't do anything about it. If I'm, I'll give you an example. There was a, uh, I I think I said this on Rich's podcast, but there was a time when I was teaching yoga in Los Angeles and I had a commute. I had a very short commute to my yoga class that I would drive. It took me about 10 minutes. And I'd done this commute hundreds of times. Right. So I kind of had the whole thing dialed in leave at this time, arrive at that time. I'll be five or 10 minutes early, set up, greet people. class starts on time. And this one particular morning, I'm following the rule book, the playbook for the commute. I'm leaving at this time, hit the first little road, and there's all this traffic. I've never seen traffic like this on this road. So now, if I stay on this road, it looks like I'm going to be really late. So I zigzag down to the other road. And there's all this traffic. And this is highly unusual for there would be traffic on both of these roads at the same time. So now it just looks like I'm going to be late because there's no other alternative route. So I'm inching along. I'm feeling a bit anxious because I don't like being late. And then I get to the major intersection 10 minutes later. And if there's traffic on both of these roads, it would have been because of something happening at this this through line, this through street, because it hit both of those streets. And then the traffic just spontaneously cleared up. And I'm like crossing through the intersection. I'm looking, I'm looking for construction. I'm looking for an accident. I'm looking for something that happened that led to that traffic, but I don't see anything. It was just traffic, just some phantom, phantom traffic jam. So I get to the class and I'm like 10 minutes late and I walk in, everyone's huddled in the back of the room. And I feel all this broken glass under my flip flops. And I look up And there's this like wall of mirrors in the front of the room. And in the very middle, the mirrors are like about as big as these curtains here. It's like, you know, three meters high and one meter wide. There's a missing mirror. And apparently what had happened was 10 minutes before when the class was supposed to start, that mirror that was right behind where I would have been sitting had I gotten there on time that mirror spontaneously dislodged and came crashing down. That would have hurt. <laughs> that is
0: my... So as
1: it turned out, that phantom traffic jam that I was cursing was actually saving me from having a very
0: unlucky start to my day. Wow. So it's the ability with just sitting with what we have and just understand that there, there's some... Possibly there's some there's greater some meaning divine, to what you may. There's
1: some divine guidance that yeah. could be, again, it, nobody knows for certain, but you, but you can adopt the belief that empowers you. Yeah, it's
0: back yeah. to your belief. It's back to kind of going, seeing the world in a way that's, you know, going to validate and yeah. bring greater if joy. If you're someone that loves magic, believe in magic. If you're someone that believes in science and science, like, if you're someone that believes in logic, it was just the way the atoms lined up that day. Yeah. or whatever. Way because if
1: I took the opposite approach and I was upset and pissed, what else am I missing? You know, I'm not present now to whatever else is going on and something else could have been informing me, uh, you know, that I'm going to use later on in my journey. Who knows? But, but yeah, that was really informative for me because I actually got to see it. A lot of times we don't get to see Mm. the thing we were spared from, but I got to actually see it and calculate the whole thing. I'm like, Oh my God. And maybe it happens for me to come and tell a story on a podcast 20 years later. You know, you just never, (laughs) Well, I
0: I remember that story, which you told us last time, which I don't think we'll go into today, but I I always remember your story of you modeling in Paris and all that story, which you have in the book at the start of it. And it's it was just such a good story. It really, really was. It was such a beautiful one. And once again, validating that idea. Trust and putting yourself out there and living at your edge. And when you're living at your edge, typically you're more alive, you're more present, you're more clutching at how can I make the most of what is happening right now? You're not protecting. You're kind of in more. And you're also just more curious. Yeah. 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 More curious. Well, how how can one live with more curiosity? Well, curiosity is number five. It's your curiosity. So four was give what you want to receive. This is about abundance, really. That's Uh that's sweet. Yeah. Number five, this is your seven uh, spiritual truths or seven ways of spiritual Minimalism. uh, minimalism. And number five is your curiosity is the gateway to your path. Yes. I say, don't try to find your purpose. Just follow
1: your curiosity, and your purpose will find you.
0: And that's like following your nose, following so where your attention is being. Yeah. At so all.
1: You're, maybe look. There's this fruit market. What what would happen if we took this over? You know, that's the
0: first first mm. step. Or first step would be, I like fruit. I go to the fruit shop quite a lot. And then second step might be someday it's for sale and you coming go, back to um, the same one over, yeah, and, over yeah. and over and over. And I really like fruit. Like, oh, this wow. Is interesting. Oh, and we go to the fruit market, and then oh, this guy's selling this fruit shop. Should we or maybe the
1: first shop? step was you know. Um, wow, this vegetarian thing is kind of interesting. This plant-based thing is interesting. You know, I'm gonna give this a try. Yeah. So again, if you you can keep tracing the steps back, you're gonna be in your in your uh, bassinet. <laughs> you know, it's a little toddler yeah. because that's it's all connected. You know, yeah, yeah, it's all connected. It you starts. were born into this family that supported curiosity or the, that allowed you to go off and travel and and learn new things in different places and come back and share those experiences, etc. A lot English. of people don't have that you know kind of set up comfort. but but you know like Tony Robbins talks about he was born his mom was abusive she would try to rinse his mouth out with soap she was depressed she was she used to have tin foil on the on the on the windows to keep the light out and you know and it was a very oppressive childhood and he ended up escaping she chased him with a knife at 16 years old out of the house and he ended up being a janitor in a school in a high school and then he somehow crossed paths with Jim Rohn motivational speaker. And and so he had so much suffering in his life that the things that Jim Rome was talking about, it really resonated with him. And you could argue, and he says, you know, because I had the kind of mother that I had, I ended up being the person that helped people turn the light back on within themselves. You know, so it's like the universe is using you one way or the other. You can have a supportive parent, you can have an abusive parent. And maybe your path is going to involve helping other people who suffered from abuse and so either way you can't really go wrong the only way to well the only way to kind of slow yourself down is to keep taking yourself out of the present moment through you know depending on drugs depending on alcohol depending on other distractions and coping mechanisms and I talk about how alcohol is a is the opposite of spiritual minimalism and it's not that I think alcohol objectively is good or bad it's just when you're not present, when you're not present, you're not able to hear that hard voice. So anything that's keeping you from being present is not helping you along that path. And, and I, I challenge the listeners or the readers to try to go three months without drinking anything. And then you can keep drinking after that, but at least for those three months, you'll put yourself in the best possible position to hear what your hard voice is truly saying. And if you can't go three months, then you have proof now that the most dominant voice in your head is not your heart voice, it's your ego, it's your ego voice. Because the heart voice would never say, no, just go have a pint. No, just go, go and drink this weekend, screw this whole spiritual minimalism thing. No, mm. your heart voice is like my heart voice this morning saying, get your ass in the cold water. You're not going to like it, but
0: it's going to help, it's going to expand you, you're going to feel great afterward." yeah yeah it's usually it's like your conscience they're all kind of tied in yeah and definitely our experience was when you were saying track it back it definitely came into for me like when it was tracking back a fruit shop and the, the happy pear argent story definitely we gave up alcohol for two weeks when we were running a marathon and that was definitely a huge catalyst of kind of sure. leaning into what was really important and what we were masking masking pain or using it as alcohol as a means to kind of not be yourself, yeah, not be yourself, whereas you know taking it away it meant like who am I or what's important, and you know what am I doing but anyway, back to seven spiritual seven um I had a seven f- principles of spiritual minimalism.
1: I had a friend who had a bicycle accident and ended up having to be rushed to the hospital because he had like a concussion or something like that, and they did the MRI to see how bad it was, and they found out that he had brain cancer oh wow, and he's not around anymore, right, but knowing that he got to spend a lot of quality time with the people in his life because they made that discovery. And, you know, again, the universe will use all kinds of things, even accidents to help us reveal things about ourselves that will allow us to then be more, do more, live more with whatever time we have. Cause we all have a, a prognosis of, of not living more than, you know, however many 80 years is the average, but you know, give or take five, 10 years. So the question is not, are we going to die? The question is to what extent are we actually living? And that's, yeah. that's the opportunity for every day is, you know, and this is what I've really enjoyed about spending time with you all this, just seeing how I'm usually the most grateful person in the room, but now I'm around a couple of guys who are actually, I think more grateful than I am. just grateful to be alive, grateful for everything. And it it's so awesome. It's so inspiring. And, uh,
0: you kind of make me want to live here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, well, it's a much. sunny day today. Now come back in February. Ah, come back, back in today. February. It's, it's, sun. it's a sun. little grayer. A little uh, different to Mexico City. Yeah. Uh, yeah pretty <laughs> yeah, sweet. Okay. Well, let, let's finish this up with six and seven. I'd love to. So six is. Six is, six is, six is finding comfort in discomfort. Yeah, just, and discomfort. And I think just, that's so important. I think that's like, that's such a rule. If you do want to. Live life more at your edge. If you do wanna pursue your curiosities, mm-hmm. you gotta be brave enough to just go, Okay, I'm gonna entertain that slight curiosity, even as is a little bit different and I'm out of my normal. But, but it's but it's a bit like you said, it's not like it's like it's not like whipping yourself. It's like going, Well, if you wanna to go to the gym, you've gotta cultivate the habits of going, I don't wanna do this and you gotta lean into it. Same with meditation, same with you know, you talked about Chris, whatever his name about wanting abs. Like there's discomfort, there's like uh, with any 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 goal or focus which you have, you've got to say no to a lot of comfortable things. Yes. So comfort is almost like the enemy of of growth, spiritual, yeah, minimalism, really. or any growth really. You know, there's mm-hmm. no you can't grow in your comfort zone.
1: Yeah, so you have to get out of the comfort zone. Avoid comfort. <laughs> but this, but you, this, what you but can this, do is you can make it into small little baby steps. So instead of going to the gym for an hour, you go to the gym You just. You, Forget the gym, just do 25 pushups, but do something every day, do some, t- do 25 air squats. And I have this whole minimalist workout routine, which is body weight and a, and a band. And so that helps people do something every day. And then over time you start to get, you become that person
0: who likes to move. Yeah, I really like how practical the book is. You've got lots of... And the fact that it's small and, as you say, you can open pocket. it from any side, it, like from any place. And it's just like, oh, there's a little dose of wisdom for me today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I enjoy beautiful. this. Okay, seven, embrace the freedom of choicelessness. And this, this my understanding... So what does of that, that mean, choicelessness? So it's like My understanding me. of that is that, that like, with, with our morning swim, it's not a choice. I'm not going, oh, do I want to go? It's raining, it's windy, it's February... The sea is really cold. I don't go, oh, I'm not going to go today. It's just like, it's something which I do. I'm the type of person that swims in the sea every morning and that's who I am. Yeah. And so there's no choice in it.
1: Right. So then when there's no choice, then you can open up things. Okay, well, let's bring tea. Let's Let's have the robe. Let's, you know, you can think about other things that can make the experience more enjoyable. So with the gym example, you know, instead of going, you know, am I going to go to the gym today? Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, you know, and spending energy doing that, the stronger question is, how am I going to make this happen today? How am I going to do it today? Now, that opens up all kinds of other possibilities. Maybe I'll just do the push-up thing. Maybe I'll get the band. Maybe I'll go early in the morning so that way I can get it out of the way earlier. Maybe I'll do it at lunchtime. You know, Maybe I'll go and invest in a kettlebell thing so if this ever comes up again, I don't have to technically go to the gym, but I can still work out and all of these kinds of solutions. And then you
0: become the person that comes up with solutions. And you've been living this nomadic way of life, like you've been living minimalism. That's everything can, I have, right here. like, like, okay, that that, 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 so that is everything you have. That's 40 liter I have. And so a forty-liter backpack, so forty-liter is like just a standard school bag. That's a standard like school a sta- bag. Yeah. My, my bag, kids probably my take bag, which I came here today, is bigger than that. Yeah, and that's everything. So you are literally practicing that's minimalism, but not only minimalist on the outside. It's how to cultivate. Yes, that there's internal. nothing in that. Yes, how do you even have warm clothes in that? He lives in Mexico where it's warm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We well, can make choices. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's look, and I'm, again, I'm not advocating
1: for living out of a backpack, but I am advocating for finding your version of that. And your someone else's version of that could be taking over a fruit market or starting a podcast or staying on a bus seat, you know, when it's illegal to, to, uh, to do so or, you know, um... Or start a whatever's tech company or yeah whatever, whatever's or. whatever's been calling you whatever's been calling you talking to the girl in the line
0: exactly what you said it's your curiosities are the indicator of, yeah you know follow your curiosities and and how I would understand that is when you go to a bookshop what section do you pick books out of there Like you go. what magazines do you like to look at what's well, on your Instagram search feed Ex- all these type of things those are probably indicators yeah if you go to the discovery in Instagram it's probably gonna you know, it'll give you some clues of what you're interested in. Yeah. And those are the things you're curious and lean into that and kind of go go on the journey. Don't expect that, oh, it's starting a business because lots of people are starting a business. It it could be anything. It's could just anything. staying could open. Be volunteering
1: to it. at a hospice. Yeah. Could be anything. Um and the the every day is an opportunity to to kind of hone and and refine what it is that we're curious about. So I think Following it shamelessly is the is the call to action because everyone has something they're curious about. But a lot of times we'll think to ourselves, Ah, you know, if I'm seen doing that, it's gonna look like I'm wasting my time. It's not productive. It's not income producing. Uh, not it's not impressive to these people for me to be, you know, playing video games or whatever the thing is. Maybe you you're the person that that figures out a way for you know, kids in some children's hospital to play video games because of your enthusiasm around this particular game, you know, or initiates a conversation that, that inspires somebody else to do something, you know, remarkable. So you just never know where the payoff is going to be. So your job is just to keep, keep exploring, keep exploring just as innocently as you can.
0: You're brilliant. You really are. I, I, I'm so into your philosophy. I'm so on board with spiritual minimalism and traveling light. Literally, you're the embodiment to travel light, like with your backpack and how you live. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And your book really is the personification of you, like having been a meditation teacher and being in this space for 20 years. Like, it's a beautiful book, and I'd highly recommend people going out and checking it out. It's called Travel Light, Spiritual Minimalism to Live a More Fulfilled Life. And genuinely, um, it's beautiful. I really look forward to it. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Pleasure, oh, sure. Thank you for coming. We're yeah. honoured, really, really honoured. Yeah. Next next time you come, I'm I'm uh I've got a building project in my garden to build some, so there'd be somewhere for you to stay. Okay, perfect. Yeah. There we go. You're a star. Thanks. Thank you. Lockwater thank King. you so You're brilliant. Much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh. <laughs>